Well, good morning, and welcome to our first official live stream uh, as Neighborhood Church. My name's Pastor Mark. I'm the lead pastor here. And as the gentleman in the video just mentioned, we have good news to share. That when you look around, there's a lot of bad news right now, but we need to be reminded that we have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to share with others. Now today is a new one for me. We have a few of the worship team members here, but overall, I'm preaching to an empty room. And as all of you are aware, the spread of the coronavirus is disrupting everyday life. And I do believe that we need to both live in wisdom and in faith, not in fear, trusting God to somehow use this for his glory. This has not surprised him. And, I've, and I'm so grateful for all of you who are joining us online or who are going to watch this even later. Because I believe God wants to do something and bring hope in our lives today. So I'm going to actually just take a minute here and allow you to pray with whoever you are with. If you are by yourself at home or somewhere else, I want you to take this next next minute to pray. If you are with a family member or a small group watching this, take a moment to pray for things that are on your heart and on your life. And we'll be back in one minute. God, I thank you for what you are doing in the world. I thank you that we do not have to live in fear, but we can hold on to you. And as we listen to your word this morning, may you remove me, may we hear from you, and may you bring comfort to each one of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are joining us for the first time here today, we are actually in the middle of a series in the book of Romans. And I've decided that we aren't going to diverge from that, we're actually going to continue it today. If you received an email this morning, there is an attachment to notes in there. Also, you can go on the YouVersion app under Neighborhood Church in Rockville, Maryland and get notes there. Or you can go to our website, neighborhoodc.org, and also the notes are there. So there's notes everywhere for you. But but we are going to be in Romans chapter 6 today and talking about how we are alive and free. Now, I'm not going to fixate on everything that's happening in the world around us. I'm not trying to ignore it, but I believe that we've been getting enough news through social media and other things over the last days that we need to kind of come up and take a breath and look at things from God's perspective, that there is good news. And let me remind you that this good news tells us that in Jesus, we are alive and free. Now, some of you might recall that back in August of 2010, There was a collapse at a mine in Chile called the San Jose Copper Mine. This collapse caved in the ramp that led to the surface and trapped 33 miners 2,300 feet underground. 
Quickly, the miners retreated to a room where they discovered a small amount of food and provision. And for the first two weeks of their ordeal, there was no contact with the outside world. Over time, a small borehole was drilled to provide communication and food to these trapped miners. As hope returned, spirits lifted, but it was not always pleasant because the ordeal was far from over. Fights broke out, tensions rose, but at the end, a rescue came. And on October 13th, 69 days later, all 33 miners were rescued alive and free. Could you imagine what it would be like to be trapped underground for 69 days? I imagine that the first feelings after the collapse would be of panic and then the realization that you were okay. But then feelings of despair would set in as the chance of rescue faded. I imagine after 69 days when they came out and were alive and free, there was many sighs of relief. Now today, as we continue our series in the book of Romans and making sense of the gospel, we're in Romans 6. And we are talking about being alive and free in Jesus. But let me just recap some of the book of Romans before we get into that. We talked about how the gospel is powerful, and the gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the gospel unites the church. The gospel is good news not just for you, but for everyone. We talked about how God is in control, that he's got this, that nothing that is happening is out of his control. And through faith in Jesus, we are credited with God's righteousness. We have a wide open door to a whole new existence of life filled with peace, hope, love, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, friendship with God. And as Andrew spoke the other week, we get all the benefits of Jesus without the consequences of Adam. Or as Romans 5.20 states, But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. You, you cannot out the grace of God. Or as the old hymn states, Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. But here's this reality of the new life in Jesus. A new life in Jesus is lived out in an old world. Even though as a follower of Jesus we are promised that we have been given a brand new life on the inside, it doesn't change things on the outside. You still have the same family, same husband or wife, same kids, same job. You still have the same history, relationships, habits, hurts, hang-ups. You still have the same social media account and friends. You're still facing the same unsettled nature of the world around us because of this virus in the falling markets. And it's easy to begin to believe that nothing has changed. That since the outside feels the same, the inside hasn't changed either. And it's easy to begin to think to yourself, why does it matter how I live? I should just go along with everyone else around me and do the same things that everyone else is doing. And that is what Paul is talking about today in chapter 6. That in Jesus, we are alive and free. So let's begin in in verse 1 of Romans 6. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So the first point, in Jesus, God's grace is meant to be used, not abused. 
Today, I'm going to use this term in Jesus. And when we receive Jesus into our lives, we are also received into his life. So we are now surrounded and filled with him. And so in Jesus, our lives are meant to be different. And in Jesus, God's grace is meant to be used, not abused. Yes, God's grace is greater than all our sin, and Jesus has died for your sin, but Paul states, how can you live in it any longer? You have become dead to sin. And when a person is dead, how many desires do they have? None. They are dead. And if you are dead to sin, there's a sense of detachment and indifference to sin. You're not fixated on it, controlled by it, because you are dead. And if you read these words, if you're dead to sin, how can you continue to live in it? And we make a choice. Either we choose to live in Jesus or live in sin. You can't do both. It's one or the other. And in Jesus, God's grace is meant to be used, not abused. Verse 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we were joined to him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. In Jesus, we die to live. We like to call the kingdom of God the upside-down kingdom. That at times, things are said that seem exactly opposite of what we have experienced. Now, I'm not talking about physical death here, but in Jesus, we die to our old lives and we have a rebirth in him. And baptism is a powerful symbol of what it means to die and then live for Christ. Around 20 years ago, I had the privilege of being baptized in Israel in the River Jordan. And right before I was baptized, I was hoping I could give a testimony of what God had done in my life. But all that were there were Christians that I knew already knew Christ. But just before I was baptized, a big tour bus pulled up and a bunch of people piled out and started watching what was happening in the river. So I think that I took that as a cue from God that I was supposed to share my testimony. So I shared my testimony with all these people I didn't know and then in turn was baptized, buried with Christ and then rising again to live a new life. It's a powerful symbol of dying to the old and rising to live a new life. I sometimes wish that baptism was a three-day ordeal, that they put you under the water and for three days you remain there. Because then the reality would settle in that we are dead to our old lives. And imagine after three days being risen out of those waters and saying, you know, my old life is gone and now I'm called to live a new life. In Jesus, we are called to die to live. And in Jesus, there's death before life, an ending before a beginning, a crucifixion and burial before a resurrection. In Jesus, we die to live. Verse 7, for when we died with Christ, we are set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you, you also 
should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. In Jesus, the power of sin is broken. Verse 11 uses this word, depending on your translation, reckon, consider, ponder. In other words, Paul's saying, think about what is being said. Don't just nod your head and say amen. Think about what is being said. Calculate it. Contemplate it. If Jesus died for me, and if I died to my sin with Jesus, then I will also rise to live a new life for him. And so much of our wrestling with sin and sinful patterns and even being afraid of death is based off our history and choices, not off the truth of God's word. Sin is fun. If sin wasn't fun, nobody would do it. Binging on ice cream is fun, but the results are not. Sex is fun, but outside of a Christ-centered marriage, it can be destructive. Partying is fun, the hangover isn't. And when we recognize, contemplate, consider the destructive nature of sin in your life and others, and you recognize and contemplate and consider that through Jesus' death, he destroys the power of sin and death in our lives, and that we can rise again to live for him, that should affect our choices and how we live and what we do and how we function in our everyday life. In Jesus, the power of sin is broken. Verse 12, don't let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. In Jesus, sin does not control you. So what is controlling your life right now? Is it God or something else? Is it all the news around us? Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it the virus that's controlling your life? Or is it God? And the idea of control here is allowing sin specifically to dominate, lead, and dictate your life. But we can even let other things dominate, control, and dictate our lives. Often we compromise and we look to even the good when God is promising us the best. Normally, I don't eat a lot of red meat. But a few weeks ago, I was down in Washington, D.C. with my family. And we found this little restaurant that had incredible burgers and Philly cheesesteak sandwiches. And instead of just trying to decide between the two, I just took both. And it was incredibly delicious. I think I might have actually crossed the line into gluttony a little bit. And although it tasted and felt great eating it, afterwards it was like a brick in my belly. I should have known better. But my desires, my wants controlled my life. And sin is the same way. It's short-sighted. It takes control of you and in, in the end makes you feel like garbage. Don't allow sin to dominate your life. In Jesus, sin does not control you. Verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no, lo- you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. 
In Jesus, your body is a weapon for good. For those trained in martial arts, at some point your body is considered a weapon. And that if you go out and do something with your body, you can be convicted of a crime because your body is a lethal weapon. Now many of us don't consider our bodies lethal weapons. We might look at our bodies as something that's simply just carrying us through life. That it's not much more than a vehicle to get us through. But God says that your body is a weapon or an instrument to be used for good. And the choices that we make affect how we view our body. Are you using your body as an instrument for good? Or an instrument or weapon to serve self-destructive behaviors? We are called to use our body as a weapon or instrument for good. I have a confession to make. I'm guilty of taking instruments or tools and using them in the wrong ways and not what they were designed for. I've used knives as screwdrivers, drills as hammers, chairs and tables as ladders. And what happens when you use something the wrong way? Usually something gets broken or you get hurt. I remember one time using a knife as a bottle opener and slicing one of my fingers almost down to the bone. Our bodies have a divine design. And they're not meant to be used for evil and self-destruction or sin, but to glorify God. Sin is not your master. You have been freed from the law. We live by the grace and freedom of God. And in Jesus, your body is meant to be used as a weapon, an instrument for good. Verse 15. Well then, since God's grace has set us free... From the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. In Jesus, you are a slave to God. And this brings us back to our original question at the beginning of the chapter. Since grace has set you free from the law, can we go and sin it up? Can we live however we want and not, and it really doesn't matter? No, you are free from sin. You are not free to sin. Let me say that again. You are free from sin, not free to sin. And in verse 16, we see that nobody is really truly free. All of us are slaves to something or someone. Each day you make choices. And these choices will either destroy you and lead to death. Or these choices will lead to life and hope and healing in Jesus. You make the choice. You either live in sin and become a slave to that. Or live in Jesus and become a slave to him. I can't make that choice for you. I can't make a choice for my children. I can't make a choice for my coworkers. You can't make a choice for your children. Even God doesn't make that choice for you. He leaves it up to you to choose. Who is going to be your master? Are you going to be a slave to sin? Or are you going to be a slave to Jesus? Verse 19. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all this. 
Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. In Jesusness, in Jesus, in Jesusness, in Jesus, holiness is our default setting. And the words impurity here means areas of sexual sin outside of God's design for human flourishing. The word lawlessness here means being hostile to the law of God. It's not just not knowing the law, it's rightfully disobeying the law even though you know it. And when we function outside of God's design for human flourishing in impurity and lawlessness, we will go deeper and deeper into sin. Think about it like this. If you're under the age of 21 and you make a choice to drink, you are doing that in willful defiance of the law. Now, if you're over the age of 21 and you choose to go out and drink and drive, you are doing that in defiance to the laws you already know. And as followers of Jesus, if you know the truth in Scripture that talks about be not drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, but you choose to go out and get drunk, you are doing that in willful defiance of the law that you know to be true. And although it feels like freedom, it will really lead to self-destruction. What promises freedom leads to slavery. And as followers of Jesus, we are meant to have Jesus control our life. And when he controls our life, we read here in Romans, that it leads to holiness as our default setting. Some people look at holiness as having a holier-than-thou attitude. That you think you're better than someone else, and that is not what holiness is about. A simple definition of holiness is different. But when we talk about being different, we're talking about how God is different from us. He is holy. He is other. He is different from us. So what does holiness look like in our lives? We simply can look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus modeled holiness for all of us. We see that in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of how Jesus lived out holiness in everyday life. So what did Jesus do? Jesus touched the untouchable, healed the unhealable, challenged the powerful, loved the unlovable, and lived in confidence even when faced with betrayal, torture, and death. Jesus is what holiness in skin looks like. Your life is meant to be holy. Not because of the way you dress, but because of who you are living for and in. In Jesus, holiness is our default setting. Finally, we wrap up this chapter 6 and read in verses 20 to 23. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus, you are alive and free. You are free from the power of sin. You are slaves to God, and you are called to live these lives of holiness. And Romans 6.23 is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse, and it's a verse that you can build what's called the bridge to life out of. And the bridge to life is a simple explanation of the good news of the gospel. 
So I want to show you a short video of how you can do this for yourself. And if you already know Jesus, look at how you can share this bridge to life with others. And if you don't yet know Christ, hear the truth that's talked about in this video. Take a look.